Good morning. Glad you're uh, back here with us. It's good to see see you all here as we worship together this morning. The last few weeks we've been in a series just uh, simply entitled Membership Matters. And what we talked about a couple weeks ago is we hit right into uh, the importance of church membership and uh, the why God has set it up that way and why it's important for us to be united together and meet together regularly and the things that go with that and, and why that's an important thing. And then starting last week, we really started to move more towards into, we're calling it Membership Matters, but really we're moving more towards the matters of membership, what we do as members of a church and what happens. And uh, what we talked about last week as we hit on, as, as we celebrated baptism last week, we talked about baptism and what that means in that picture. And uh, as I mentioned last week, baptism, and then what we're talking about this week, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper this week, or communion, as, as you may call it, or the Eucharist, or however your tradition, or whatever you, you've heard it as. But we're going to talk about that this morning, and, and as we do, what I would say is last week, uh, baptism, and then this week, the Lord's Supper, those are the two things that Jesus ordained, the two ordinances that he said, as a church, this is what you're to be doing. And so the things as we come together, this, uh, as we hit on last week, and now again this week is the things that uh, Christ himself has set up and told us to do. And so this morning, as we, as we think about this, we could look at it kind of this way. Uh, last week, baptism is, in a lot of ways, the entrance into the church. The, the first thing I'm proclaiming that I'm now with Christ and, and I'm now being brought into the church and I'm part of the church body. And then this week, as we look at the Lord's Supper, it's really uh, the ongoing family meal. It's, it's the we come together and celebrate. And so... We're going to look at that and think about that this morning, and to do so, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and there's, there's pew Bibles. If you don't have one and you want to follow along with us, that's on page 622, I believe, 622 in the pew Bible that has the text we're going to be looking at. And so this morning, as we go into Corinthians, let's just set the scene real briefly. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter written to the church at Corinth by Paul, and he's writing to correct a lot of bad things, a lot of things that have popped up in the church. They're not doing quite so well and they're getting off on some things. And so he's writing to, to bring them back and to correct and to show some things. And as we get to 1 Corinthians 11, he moves into the Lord's Supper. And what we find in the context, and you'll see in just a second, is they were getting it all wrong. And they were doing some things that were way out of line with what uh, Christ intended and what God wants for us in the way that we Celebrated, And so this morning, as we look at that text, we're really going to focus our time on verses 23 to 32. But I'm going to read here and we're going to start in verse 17, because that just gives us some of the context of what Paul is dealing with in the church in Corinth. So let's read together from verse 17 down to verse 32 of first Corinthians chapter 11. And it begins this way. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do that as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats, drink, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray together and then we will look at this passage. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful picture that is uh, the Lord's Supper. We thank you for giving it to us and what it means. We pray this morning that we would see more clearly and more deeply than ever uh, what you intended and why you gave it to us. We pray that we would, uh, through that, just see you more clearly and more beautifully and just behold your magnificence. We pray this morning that as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us and move in this place, that without you we're hopelessly lost. So we ask that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts and you would apply it for us. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we begin this morning, I'm going to go at it just like this, pretty straightforward, simply as we think about the Lord's Supper. First, what is it? Second, why do we do it? And third, how do we do it? And when we talk about uh, why do we do it, you can even put it to our context here. If you're visiting with us, maybe you haven't here before, we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every week. So you can even apply why do it every week. Or the question is broader than that, and I'll get to that in a minute. It's why do it continually, but in our case, it's why we do it every single week. And so what is it, why do we do it, and how do we do it? So let's just start with what it is, what we're talking about when we talk about the Lord's Supper. And we're going to look at what Paul says and just think through that. But when I, as we start with that, I want us to start really with just part of that question of what it is, what it's not. What it's not. Because I think sometimes, depending on church background or where you grew up, or maybe you're visiting, maybe you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've seen Lord's Supper before or heard of it and you don't really know. And so I want to just kind of hopefully clear the table a little bit uh, about maybe some misconceptions of, that we may have or we're coming with. So let's look at verses 24 and 25 just again, just to start with. And so Paul is telling us what Jesus says uh, the night he told them about the Lord's Supper, which was just a few hours before he'd be crucified that Thursday night. He's crucified on Friday morning. And so we get this picture of what Jesus says, and it says in verse 24, and when he had given thanks and broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we talk about Jesus saying, this is my body and this cup is my blood, sometimes that's where we get into all kinds of oh, what's going on here. And if, if you're not familiar, you didn't grow up in the church, you really may go, what are you talking about? Body and blood and what does that mean? And so I wanted to start real clearly uh, what we teach and what we believe and what we hold to in this church, that when we come to the table and we partake of communion, it is not literally Christ's body and blood. And I say that and I feel confident in saying that because I feel like I can make that case from Scripture very clearly depending on your background and where you grew up. That may be what you're carrying into this actual physical body and blood of Christ depending on where you came from. I don't believe that's to be the case. And 
as we're reading today, I picked to go at it from 1 Corinthians 11 because of some of the things Paul says. But if you want to go read the other accounts in the Gospels of when Jesus sets this up, I, I commend that to you. You can find it in Matthew 26 and in Luke 22 and in Mark 14. And just as we think about the idea of what is actually representative of what's going on with the body and blood, I would take you to that night when Jesus institutes this. And the scene is he's sitting at the table. He's lounging at the table as they did to, to share the meal with the 12 disciples. And then he gets to this part and he's celebrating Passover. And we'll talk about that in a minute and what the symbolism there. But he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And he says that. And so just from the most natural reading as you read through the Gospels, just taking it at face value in the context and what you read there is Jesus is physically present with them in his body. And then he takes the bread and says, this is my body. And he takes a cup and this is my blood. And so what you get is this picture of, of what would be the most natural way to take that is the disciples there as they look on and what they see. And from the context we'd say is they obviously would know that this is a symbol of Christ's blood in his body. Just sitting there observing the most natural way we could take that. It would be as if um, I often do. I'll show people funny pictures I have of my son Quinn because he's pretty funny and he makes lots of great faces and but if I were holding Quinn in one arm and I take off my phone and I say, hey, look at this. Look what he did the other day. And I say, hey, this is my son, Quinn. You wouldn't then start going, oh, Quinn, good to meet you and talk to my phone. You wouldn't then start to go, well, this literally is Quinn. No, you would, you would know what I'm saying. This is a representation. Or, or if you, somebody shows you pictures of their family, oh, this is my family. You don't introduce yourself. to the, you, We know that that's a symbol of what it is. And just in a most... And I don't mean to make light of it, but in its most just natural reading of what Christ is saying as they're sitting there, we would say that he's saying this represents me and my body and what's happening. And so there's that just very literally. But I want us to think even a little deeper than that. And if you'll notice this morning as, as we started our worship time, I read from John chapter 6. And if you know John 6, it's Jesus' bread of life discourse. And he talks about how I'm the bread of life and you have to come to me and you eat of me and all these things. And the context of that passage is Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and they're coming to him and they're just overwhelmed with what he just did and this miracle. And they're saying, how did you do this? And they're looking at him and he starts to go, no, no, no. As he often does, we've talked about this a lot, he always takes them from physical miracle thing to a deeper spiritual reality. And he starts to say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the bread of life and you come to me and if you come to me, you have eternal life. And he starts to tweak where they are and taking them to a deeper spiritual reality. And so you start to read through, and as Jesus is talking to them, he starts with, I'm the bread of life, and, and making the symbolism. And then as the more they push back, right, they're, they're misunderstanding, and they're going, how could he come down from heaven, and how could he do this? He says, no, I'm the bread of life. That's... And then all of a sudden he says, and unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you, you've got to do that for eternity. So it's all of a sudden he gets to this very hard saying, and and when you read through John 6, and I would encourage you to do that, you know, go this afternoon and read through John 6 and be thinking about that situation and what Jesus is saying. And what you get is he's going back and forth with him. And he says in verse 47, though, right in the middle of this, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Right? And then he goes on later to say, you have to eat of this bread and drink of, of my blood and these things. But he's just told us it's through faith. It's through believing in who Christ is that you have eternal life. It's not the physical bread. It's not an actual physical action, the eating it that saves you. But it's a, a picture of, of a deeper spiritual 
uh, reality. And you see that as you get to the end of that passage. The disciples come to them. They come to Jesus and it says the disciples are talking amongst themselves and they say, this is a really hard saying. Who can take this? Right? They're just blown away. Like, what is he doing? Why is he telling people to eat his body and to drink his blood? What in the world is going on? And Jesus, I think it's the whole key to understanding what he's saying in that passage. And in verse 62 and 63, he says, do you take offense to this? Talking to the disciples. They're upset that he said it this way. And then he says, this is what... Uh, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So he says, what if you saw me go up to heaven? You see that, in which they will later on. He's pointing ahead. But, and then he says, uh, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so what Jesus is saying is, you guys are so down here thinking, oh no, he just said, eat my body and drink my blood. And he said, this is a spiritual thing. And even if you see miracles and you see whatever, it's got to be the spirit that opens your eyes to see this. This is spirit and life. The words I'm talking about are a spiritual reality. And so when we talk about what it's not, we're not saying it's physically Christ's blood and body. Same thing we talked about last week. If you were here for baptism, talked about in first peter how peter says it's not the the washing of the water that washes physically your sins away is washing dirt off of you it's a a plea for a, a good conscience it's a spiritual thing it's a visual picture of a spiritual reality and so what it's not is we don't want to get caught up on those oh no what are they talking about blood and are we drinking blood and all you know those kinds of things but i want us to see this deeply the way christ intends us for us to so that's, that's kind of what it's not. I don't want us to get hung up on that. So what is it? What do we want to think about? What do we want to say that the Lord's Supper actually is? What are we doing when we come to the table? And, and why do we do this? And why do we remember it? So what is it? We need to think about the context of when Jesus did this. I, I mentioned just a minute ago, it was the night before he died that he brought them together, the disciples. And if you know, if you're here with us since we celebrate this week, this every week, we say this almost every single week. That Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That's how he introduces it. And so that gives us the context. They're sitting down together, the disciples with Jesus, to celebrate Passover. A Passover meal. And it's important for us to at least think about that and the connections Jesus makes to understand fully what we mean by the Lord's Supper. And so I'm not going to go and do all of Passover and all that. We'll do real, real briefly just because we need to at least have it in our minds. In Exodus 12 and 13 is when God institutes Passover and what it means. Israel is in slavery in Egypt. If you know that story, and God's done all these miraculous things to show uh, Egypt who he is, who God is, and this is my chosen people, and I'm going to use them. And he's doing all these things, and you get to the very end, and it's the Passover. And God gives very clear directions. He says you're supposed to take a lamb of a certain age in a certain way and all these things and you prepare it in a certain way and you kill the lamb and you rub the blood over your door. Now that's another thing that we go, this sounds really weird. right? If you didn't grow up in the church and we start talking about that, you go, well, what's going on? Well, what God said is you take this sacrifice and you do this thing and you follow what I told you and I will spare you. Because what happened on that night in Egypt when Passover started is God says, I'm going to fast forward to my judgment for one night in one place at one time. But... I'm giving you a way to be saved. And the way you're saved is you trust in the way I've provided for you. You trust in the sacrifice that I've made. And so he says, you take this lamb and you follow my directions. And then 
the Passover is what happens is, is so God does that and he unleashes his judgment and anyone who doesn't follow God's clear directions, the firstborn is killed in that house. And so what God is doing in Egypt at that time is he's showing clearly either you can trust me or you can trust the gods of Egypt or you can trust yourself, whichever it is. But there's only one way this works and it's trusting me in the way I've provided And so that's what happens, and they let Israel go, and they leave, and they go out of the land, and then God gives them clear directions. He says, you're going to remember this. I don't want you to forget the way I saved you. It was all my doing, and I did this for you, so what you're going to do is every year, you're going to take a lamb, and you're going to cook it in a certain way, and you're going to do all these things, and you're going to sit down and eat it, and you're going to put your clothes on just like you did that night when you were ready to leave, and you're going to retell the story. You're going to remember what God's done for you. So that's Passover. That's 1,500 years before Jesus comes. A lot of tradition with Passover. A lot of rich, deep meaning with what's going on there. So when Jesus comes and sits down with his disciples and he says, now we're going to celebrate Passover. And I am eager to celebrate this Passover with you. And so he gets them together and they sit around and they would have all known what you do and how you take the cup and how you eat the lamb, and how you prepare all these things, and you get ready. And normally they would say, this is the bread of the affliction. And when we wandered in the wilderness, and they would tell the whole story of what happened. And it all has rich meaning and symbolism. But something totally different happens when Jesus celebrates Passover on the night before he dies. Instead of saying, this is the bread of the affliction, and then going on to the lamb and the symbolism of everything else, he does something totally different. Look at what he says in verses 24 and 25 again. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? This was to remember what God had done in Egypt and the way he saved them. And the bread had very specific meaning. This is the bread of the affliction. And they're expecting to hear that. And all of a sudden Jesus says, This is all about me. Do this in remembrance of me. The the bread is my body. And he changes the whole meaning. And if you're one of the disciples sitting there listening to this, I'm sure there were a lot of jaws dropping open going, what just happened here? What's going on? Jesus just took this thing that we do every year and totally changed it. I wouldn't say totally changed it. A better way to say it is he brought it to a much fuller meaning. And so he started to make it about himself. And so he says that and he starts to go through. And I want you to think through what that means and what he's saying and the symbolism that goes with that. Because before the Passover was about what God's done for them in Egypt. He saved them from slavery and oppression and this uh, awful, harsh conditions they were in. And he brought them out by his doing. And so now Jesus says, now it's me. And what he's saying and what he's telling us and the way he's doing it is just as I saved, as God saved his people out of Egypt, now I'm saving you by what I'm going to do for you. Now it's my body and my blood and it's broken for you and not just saving you from one earthly uh, slavery or regime or dictatorship or anything like that. I'm saving you from the very foundations of all that. I'm saving you from sin itself. And so he makes it into a much greater bigger thing. You know, it's very interesting when you read through in the Gospels. And normally they celebrate Passover and there's this part about the lamb and eating the lamb and all this. There's no mention of a lamb ever in the Gospel accounts. And I've often heard it said, and I love the way just to think about this, the reason there's no mention of the lamb is because the lamb was at the table. 
The lamb was presiding over the meal because Jesus himself was going to be the sacrifice. It was no longer an animal that you spread their blood, but Jesus himself, the perfect sacrifice, had come. And now he's saying, it's all about me and what I do for you. And so Jesus is pointing to himself and he's talking about his death and what would take place. And, you know, last week, as we talked about baptism, we spent a long time on what happened in Christ's death. And we walked through that and really thinking about and I'm not going to do it quite as long just because we did that last week. And so I point you back to that, but we'll just say this as we're here, and it's, it's so important to what we're talking about. As Jesus says, now this is all about me and pointing to me and what I've done, what he's saying and what he's telling us and what is so true is that Jesus' death is the center of all human history. They did this for 1,500 years, pointing ahead of how God saves us, and all that symbolism was coming together tonight so I can show you what it means, and then you're going to keep doing this so you never forget what this means. And the reason that it's right there in the middle and Christ doing that is it is so important. Because it is the, the way that God has made that we can come back to Him. That He's bridged the gap between our sinful disobedience and His perfect holiness and righteousness. And it's only through Christ. And so He gives us this picture. And as I think about that, and I think about the picture that He gives. And when you read in the Gospels, and when Jesus says, we say this every week. And I'm so convicted by this this week as they stand up and say it every week. Jesus says, I am so eager to celebrate this with you. I'm so excited to show you how all this comes together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All this history and all these things and all this going forward comes together in Jesus. And he's so excited to show and to tell them and to tell them to do it over and over again because his death took our sins and restored us to God. He made the way. All the problems. He says this is what's going to fix it. And this is a symbol that shows that. So you won't forget. And so what you see even there. Uh, not just the, the remembering of what he's done. But I love the way it says there in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread. And drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's not just looking back. It's also looking forward. It's a. Wonderful expectation of what he's going to do when he comes and finishes it. And so when we talk about what it is, it's this beautiful picture of what Christ has done and the way he takes the sin, our sin on himself. And he bears God's wrath so that we can be made new and perfect in God's sight. But it's also this wonderful pointing ahead of because of the resurrection and because of what he's done and because of what all this points to that he's coming back and he's not done yet. And he's going to regenerate all things. And so it's right there in the middle. And so when we think about what the picture is, it's a visual picture of what it costs him to save us. And we're to do it to remember and to look ahead and to be our center of, of where we're going. And so when we talk about what it is, that's, that's what it is. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture that God has ordained in so many years and so much went into painting this picture. But then the question becomes, why do it? Why do it over and over again? And, and we could say it doesn't matter. Maybe you grew up in a church that did it quarterly or maybe weekly or, or monthly, whatever it is. We do it weekly here and it, it would apply any of them. Just the fact that we continually do it. And by the way, I'm not making a statement on we do it every week so everybody else is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. There's good reasons for doing it maybe monthly versus weekly. And, and I've heard different reasons and there are good reasons and we're getting a little outside of 
biblical reasons when we start to say, no, 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 you have to do it every week or you have to. The, the important thing to remember is we do it continually. We keep doing it. So why do we do that? Why do we keep doing it continually? And I'll start with just the most simple, simple explanation. And we talked about this with baptism last week. The, the reason we, we keep doing it is right there in verse 23. For I receive from the Lord what also I delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And then it goes on to tell us what he did. This comes from Jesus. Jesus started this. Jesus is the one that said, keep doing this. Keep remembering. So just at its most basic level, why do we keep doing it? Because Jesus is our Lord and Savior and he says to do it. Obedience. As we want to be his disciples and follow him and he tells us to be Jesus' disciple means complete obedience to what he tells us. And so Jesus says do it over and over. We do it over and over. Right? That's the most basic reason we want to keep doing it because he's told us to do it. But I don't want us just to stop there. I don't want us just to leave it as well, just, just because he said so. I want us to think deeply about why it's such a beautiful picture and why he gave it to us. And not just out of duty, but out of love for him that we want to keep doing it. And so it's this, as I was just talking about, why do it over and over? If it's a spiritual picture, of the, or a visual picture of the spiritual reality of what's happened and what Christ has done for us, that we can come to God because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. So why do it over and over? And very simply, no matter what kind of week you had, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter how sick you are, how tired you are, how many things are weighing down and pressing on you, or how lousy you feel, or how guilty, or whatever it may be, God can still be approached because of what Jesus has done for you. It's not based on your performance. It's based on what Christ has done for you, that He laid down His life and He gave His body and His blood so that you could be made perfect in God's sight. And so when we think about doing it over and over, we need it. We need to be reminded over and over and over again because we're sinful, broken people and a hard life and lots of things pressing in. And it's just a reminder over and over of how much Christ loves us and what He did for us and what He laid down for us. I want you just to go back one more time. I know I've looked at these verses a few times, but look at 24 to 26 with me one more time and really think hard. Think deeply. Put yourself at the table with Christ. Visualize yourself sitting there on the night He puts this in place. And as you're hearing what He's saying, think about His words and what He says. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see this picture here. And when you read in the Gospels and he says, I have so eagerly waited to tell you about what this is. I am so eager to celebrate this Passover with you because I'm going to show you something. And what he's saying and what he's getting to, and I want you to really think about this, is he takes the bread and he gives thanks. He's giving thanks to God the Father that He's ordained that Jesus would come and die for us. And He's thanking God for it. That You would allow me to come and do this. That You would let me go and be the sacrifice. And so He thanks God. And then He takes the bread and it says He broke the bread. Right? It tells us in John that Jesus says, I lay down my life on my own accord. No one takes it from me. I think it's a beautiful picture when you think about He broke the bread. 
Here's my body broken for you. I'm the one laying it down. I'm thanking God and I'm so eager to show you what this means. And so Jesus, here he is thanking God. Just think about that picture of him thanking God in prayer and telling him, thank you for this and for this symbol and what you've done, knowing, knowing that just in a few hours he would go to the cross, that he would be beaten mercilessly, that going to the cross he would bear God's wrath and be cut off from union with the Father, the greatest, most horrible, awful thing that could ever be to be cut off completely. And Jesus is looking ahead to all that and he's thanking God. And he says, I'm so excited to tell you about what's going to happen here. And so you get this beautiful, wonderful picture of what's going on. I kept thinking about uh, the Apostle John sitting there with Jesus. And John, as we know from the Gospels, is the only one that just doesn't scatter, that he's kind of there all the way through. He's there at the cross and he's watching the whole thing. And he's perplexed hearing this thing about this is your body and your blood and not quite getting it all and watching and then later going and seeing Jesus be beaten and put on the cross and then seeing all that. And then the resurrection as Christ rises. And as we talked about last week, that's the picture of God accepting the sacrifice. That the work is done and I accept Jesus' sacrifice. And then Jesus ascends and he goes to heaven and they gather together to celebrate communion. What must that be like for John? As he sat there and saw all of it unplay before him. And then to get together and say, this is my body broken for you. He would have such a picture, literally burned in his memory of what God did for him. And so when we think about this, and we talk about why do we do it over and over, and why it's so important, is because no matter where you're suffering or where you are today or what's going on, Jesus gave us this picture to say, I love you this much, and don't you ever forget it. Celebrate it over and over and over. And when you come together, say it and tell it. Tell it to each other and don't forget. And so he gives us this wonderful, beautiful picture that he was so excited about to tell us. I'm so excited for you to see this. It's because he loves us so much. And because it cost him so great, but he was willing to do that. And so that takes us to the left. Well, how do we take it? How do we come to the table to take it? And Paul tells us, and please hear this. Let this settle on you, the seriousness of what Paul says in verses 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body. He eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when you are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying there's some that are coming very haphazardly to the table and not really thinking at all about what this means or what it is. And Paul goes on to say that some of you are sick and weak and some of you have died. Do you understand what he's saying? This is such a ser- this is a beautiful picture of who Christ is and if we just flippantly come to it, he's saying there are some of you that have actually died because you're just trampling all over Christ's blood and what he's done for you and he says do not 
do that. That's why each week when we come together and we say that everyone is welcome to be in our worship service. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're just checking out church and you're not really sure, we are so glad you're here. I'm ecstatic that you would come and be part of us. But as we often say, this part, when we come to this table, that's not for you. And I say that out of love because of what Paul tells us here. You don't come haphazardly to the table. You don't come up here just like, oh, maybe it's Jesus, maybe it's not. Maybe he's son of God, maybe he's not. No, you don't do that. This is for people that have put their faith and their trust and their entire being in who Christ is. And so I want us to think for just a second about how do we come in a worthy manner. Right? The context here is they were getting drunk and they were eating in excess and they weren't sharing and all these terrible things that were going on. You could say, well, well we don't get drunk. We're not eating in excess. We're taking one little piece and we're not doing those things. So are we doing it in a worthy... Does that mean we're doing it in a worthy manner? I say, no, I don't think so. Just because we're not doing those things doesn't mean that we've gotten what he's talking about. And I want us to just think for just a second what it really means. Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And when we talk about discerning what the body and what it means is it's Christ's sacrifice for us. And really understanding and thinking about what it cost him to restore us to fellowship with the Father. That he had to lay his life down and be cut off and bear the wrath of all the sins of the world. And so when we think about what it means to come, what we're saying is not that you have to be perfect. Not that you need to go back through your mind and go, well, how many quiet times did I have? And how many prayers did I say this week? And okay, now I'm worthy. That's not it. And by the way, if you're doing that and then coming, you're coming to the table in an unworthy manner because you're coming based on your works. And that's unworthy. So don't do that either. So how do we do it? How do we do it in a worthy manner? And how do we come? I want you to just think of it like this. When we come to the table, we'd say it this way. It's seeing that my sins caused Jesus' death. That's discerning the body and the bread. That it's me that held him on the cross by my sins. Having real remorse for my sins. But then this is so key that you see this. It's then accepting the forgiveness that Christ gives you by what he's done for you. You don't sit and go, oh no, I've got sins and so I'm not worthy. Well then you're not taking hold of what Christ has done for you. Because you're worthy because of Jesus, not because of you. And so it's putting all your focus and all your stuff and everything on what Christ has done for you and then accepting that forgiveness. That's why we say it's a celebration of the Lord's Supper. We think about it and we confess and we repent and we thank the Lord and then we say we are made right because of Jesus. And I can come because of what He did for me. And so it's a celebration. It should be exciting and wonderful. And a great thing that we're saying, look at the God we serve and look what he did for us. And so that's what it means to come worthily, to realize that it's all Jesus and it all points to him. And so we want to do that well. We want to never, ever take this lightly. Just a point of practical, the way we do this here. Oftentimes we use different words and different liturgies that go with us. 
And that's purposeful because we want you to think of different aspects of what we're talking about. There's nothing wrong with saying the same things each week. That's not a bad thing. That's not a wrong thing. But we're trying to guard against to where it doesn't, we go into autopilot and we're not thinking really about what this represents. And so, this is a wonderful gift that Christ has given us. That we can hold up each week His love for us and visual elements that point to the spiritual reality of what He's done. And so, I'm going to close us in prayer. And I'm going to ask as I finish that that you would just take a moment to prepare your hearts. And we're going to go straight to the Lord's Supper today. Spending our time and thinking about it. Let's go and celebrate what Christ has done for us in these elements and what this beautiful picture is. So let's pray and then I ask you just to take a moment to prepare your hearts and then we'll be set up and you can come and partake in the elements. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the beautiful, beautiful picture that you've given us. That you loved us so much that you thank the Father for being able to come and do that for us. What a wonderful gift. We pray that this morning as we celebrate communion that you would just impress upon our hearts anew the beauty of this picture and what you did for us and that we would just celebrate today. That we'd celebrate together. That we would, uh, in our celebration, that that would point us to your glory and your beauty and how wonderful you are. That we would just see that so clearly. And so we ask that you'd just be in our midst this morning as we do that. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.